0: Anyone here this morning who's ever had a loved one that suffered from dementia or some other brain disease or condition that resulted in memory loss, you know how traumatic and difficult that can be. In minor cases, problems with memory can be an annoyance and an irritation. We forget to go to a meeting or we forget to pick up something we needed at the store. But in more extreme cases, loss of memory, results in a loss of identity. Because we lose our connections with our past, we lose our connections with the people around us, and we simply forget who we are. Well, I think the Bible would have us to understand that this is a condition we all suffer from, that this is at root bottom our spiritual nature, that we suffer from amnesia. We have forgotten who we are, the Bible says that we were created by God and we were created for God. That this is the connection. This is the source of life and that life truly lived as a life lived with that awareness. The problem is we forget that. There's so many other voices competing for our attention and claiming our loyalty that we try to define our lives by other things. And so we've lost our identity. Well, over these next several weeks as we journey towards the cross and the empty grave of Easter, we're going to dig into some passages of Scripture that can help us recover that sense of identity. We're going to be focusing on passages of Scripture that call us to remember certain things about ourselves and where we have come from and where we are going. And so today, let me invite you to begin that journey with me by turning in the book of Psalms. Psalm 103 to be exact. The Psalms are a collection of prayers uh, by God's people, the people of Israel. Many of them are Psalms of joy, some are Psalms of anguish and lament, but deep in those prayers we see the cry of God's people and we see important things about God's nature. So, listen as we read these words from Psalm 103, which will then point us to other passages of Scripture that we'll hear from this morning as well. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, I think the world is still in shock over the recent sudden tragic death of basketball legend Kobe Bryant. I think there are many reasons for that but at least part of it is we don't want to believe that it is possible for such a freak tragedy to strike somebody who was such a high-profile celebrity. Somebody who lived the life of Kobe Bryant is supposed to be immune to those normal limitations. He's supposed to transcend the the vagaries of everyday life. But if something like that could happen to someone like him, then doesn't that mean that something like that could also happen to people like us whose lives are just very ordinary? Well, the answer is yes, it could. Now, statistically speaking, I don't want you to be afraid because the odds tell us that none of us are likely to die in a tragic accident anytime soon. The odds are that most of us will make it home safe tonight. But that doesn't change the fact that you and I are mortal, frail, fragile, and vulnerable creatures. We can eat our vegetables. Buckle our seat belts, look both ways when we cross the street, and still, there will come a day for all of us when we will draw our last breath. Now the Bible is honest. Some might say brutally honest about this. I think that's partly why the Bible is so powerful and still so relevant because it tells us the truth about ourselves, the truth, that we otherwise might prefer to ignore or deny. We just read it from Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14, which lay it out there bluntly and unapologetically. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Of course God remembers that we are dust because He's the one who formed us that way. Those words from Psalm 103, of course, immediately take us in our minds back to the creation story. I told you we were going to be referring to a number of Scripture passages, so follow along with me. Genesis 2, verse 7, let me just remind you of what it says. It says that the Lord God formed man from out of the dust of the earth. Now there's an interesting wordplay going on there, we don't really catch it in the English translations but it comes shining through in the original Hebrew. You see in the Hebrew the word for ground or dust is the word Adama. God formed man from out of the Adama and a few verses later we learn the name of the man that he formed out of the Adama and his name is Adam. Our name is dirt, literally. Our namesake reminds us of the fact that we are formed out of the dust of the earth. Now, if you are somebody who suffers from arthritis or fibromyalgia or chronic migraines or other chronic underlying conditions, you already know this. You can tell me it's going to rain before you ever look at the weather report. Why? Because your physical body is made out of the same stuff as the physical world and it's just interacting with the dust of the earth. Now, if God remembers we are dust, then I would argue we need to remember it as well. If we're going to have an accurate understanding of ourselves and live life in the truth as God intended it to be, we should begin where the Bible begins. We should begin by remembering we are dust. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Very quickly, let me lay out three reasons why I believe this is so. First, remembering we are dust keeps us grounded in the fact that we are not God. He alone is the creator and we are just the creatures. And if we're going to live into the fullness of our humanity as God designed it, we must embrace that inescapable truth. God is God and we are not. And there is a big difference between those two statements. Once again, go back with me to the creation story, this time Genesis chapter 3. We read that Adam and Eve were tempted into rebelling against God, but... What was the source of that temptation what exactly is it that the serpent said the serpent tempted Eve by offering her the chance to climb up out of her human condition and become something more listen again to the conversation between them as it's recorded in Genesis 3 verses 1 through 4 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil now hear those words again you will be like God that's the offer that the serpent laid out before Adam and Eve and as they listened to it it was too good of an offer to refuse Because here is the sinful idea that by our own efforts and by our own choices and by our own actions, we can somehow make ourselves into something more than the dust of the earth. Here is the idea that through our own striving and our own accomplishments and our own choices and our own actions, that we can become something more than dependent creatures, that we can become like God but we cannot and we never will because the gap between him and us is too great for us to cross and so no matter what we do we will always just be the creatures and he will always be the only creator. On more than one occasion the prophet Isaiah uses the imagery of a potter and the clay to portray how foolish it is when we reverse this in our minds. For example, in Isaiah 29, 16, the prophet Isaiah says to the people, You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing. Of course, it's a rhetorical question, the answer to which should be brutally obvious. God is God and we are not. And remembering we are dust keeps us grounded in that vital and fundamental truth. Second, remembering we are dust is the pathway to true humility. Hard to count how many times the Bible calls us to a humble way of life, but but how do we do that? What's the key to being humble? Do we gather in church on Sundays, have a pep rally, and say, okay gang, let's get out there and be more humble this week? That kind of is counterproductive, isn't it? It works in the opposite direction. No, humility begins with an honest view of who we are. Again, let's look at some language here. Humility comes from the Latin word humus, which, by the way, the word human also does. And humus is the Latin version of the Hebrew word adama. Humus means earth or ground. So humility means recognizing that we are dust. Now, that doesn't mean that humility requires us to think poorly of ourselves. God does not ask us to moan and groan and and wonder about earth as though we are of no value. It says in Scripture that what God created, He declared as good, and what God declared as good, we dare not disparage. So, humility doesn't begin with a negative self-image. It just begins with an accurate self-image. It begins with viewing ourselves as we truly are. And the truth is, we are people of dust. Back about seven years ago, I think it was now, a group of archaeologists made an important discovery when they finally identified the burial site of King Richard III of England. Maybe some of you read about this. It had long been known that King Richard III was killed in the year 1485 as he led his troops in what came to be known as the Battle of Bosworth. And according to records at the time, the king's body was buried next to a 13th century monastery. The problem is that monastery was then later torn down under the reign of King Henry VIII about 100 or so years later. And that means that for the last over 400 years, nobody knew where the former king was buried. And finally, according to uh, a combination of updated historical records, some new imaging technology and updated DNA testing, they finally found his grave. He was buried underneath a parking lot in the city of Leicester. Now, eventually his remains were exhumed and he was given a proper burial inside a grand cathedral. But I find it strangely ironic and I'll admit my sense of humor is a little bit twisted here. I find it a little bit ironic that one of the former leaders of one of the greatest nations in the history of Western civilization spent the last decade or so having a soccer mom park on top of his head in her minivan while she ran in to get a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) I don't care how high we are, we are all just people of the dust. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to strive to do great things and accomplish great things. But in the end, we are all just dust. That's why there's no place among us for arrogance or condescension or conceit. There is no place for thinking more highly of ourselves because of our race, because of our national origin or because of our political affiliations or because of our family name. We are all just dust. In the book of James, the brother of our Lord puts it this way. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes comes also in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, You stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? A faithful life is a humble life, and true humility begins with an accurate view of ourselves. We are dust. Finally, and most importantly, remembering we are dust points us toward and keeps us grounded in our one and only hope, which is nothing less and nothing other than Jesus Christ. The creation account in Genesis two that I referred to a moment ago, it presents us with an interesting paradox. There's an actual there's a tension at play in that story, and we live in that tension and we feel it in our bones every day. It says on the one hand that that God formed us out of the dust of the earth. We're just dust. But then it says he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils and we became living beings. This means at one and the same time we are only dust and yet we have this sense that we were created for more than just dust. We have the breath of God breathing through us. Another word play here. In the Hebrew language, the Hebrew word for breath is the word ruach, which also just happens to be the same word in Hebrew for spirit. So, did God touch us with his breath, or did God touch us with his spirit? The answer is yes. This is why we have a longing for something more, because God has touched these dusty old bodies of us with his very spirit. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he, speaking of God, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Because of the touch of God upon us, we have a yearning to transcend the frailty and the mortality and the perishability of these fragile old bodies of ours. And there is only one way that will ever happen, and that is by the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, the creation account, Genesis 3, verse 19. We hear the fateful words God speaks to Adam and Eve after they eat the forbidden fruit. And God first reminds Adam, in case he'd forgotten, that Adam is formed out of the dust, but then he pronounces a curse. He says, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return from the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. In other words, human death has now come into the story as a result of sin. Now, not only are we created from the dust, now our natural state is to return to the dust. This is our inescapable condition. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, God has overturned that curse. Jesus has taken upon himself the punishment for our disobedience. And he has reversed the curse. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die. There's the curse created from the dust and to the dust you will return. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has restored what we lost. He has renewed what we corrupted, and he has given back what we gave away. And here's the critical thing to understand. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We could never achieve it. All we can do is receive it because it is grace. And grace simply means undeserved favor, gift that cannot be achieved, only received. Remembering we are dust reminds us we only have one hope in this life and it is not in us. It doesn't lie in what we accomplish because no matter what we do, we are still just dust. But Because of Jesus Christ, these dirty, dusty old bodies of ours have an eternal hope. This past Wednesday, uh, was Ash Wednesday, the official beginning of the journey of Lent. And and in keeping with a long-standing tradition here, our youth pastor, Rob Covington, held a special worship service with our youth over in the powerhouse that concluded by imposing ashes on the foreheads of those who chose to have them received in the shape of a cross. Well, I finished up my teaching duties here and I slipped over and and spent a few moments worshiping with our youth. And when the opportunity was given, I got up and stood in line with our teenagers and went forward and and had those ashes smeared on my forehead with the words, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Well, after the service as usual, I had to run a couple of errands before going home and I had to duck into the grocery store to pick up a few items. By now, I'd forgotten that this thing was smeared on my forehead. And as I checked out, the cashier looked at me a bit oddly, and then she said, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been so busy working today, I forgot. This is Ash Wednesday. And I just smiled and said, Yes, it is. Now, I hear those as more than the words of a tired and overworked cashier. I hear those as the fundamental words of our human condition. Oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot. May we have the grace to remember and live. This morning, we gather in a great act of remembrance The bread and the cup we share in a few moments calls us to remember not just who we are, but who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Because that tells us who we really are. Let us come to the table and remember. Amen.